0: If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right. We circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin.
1: All right, Fran, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to Classic Conversations, episode 132. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back as we dive into classicness. As only we do on Classic Conversations. Today, I've got an amazing guest. Excited to share my conversation with Dava Savell with you. Dava is a writer and a producer. You've enjoyed her work in That's So Raven, the Tony Danza show, Dinosaurs, Dharma and Greg, Will and Grace, Ellen, and so much more. Speaking of Ellen, Dava Savell is Emmy Award-winning Dava Savelle, and she won that for writing the puppy episode of The Ellen Show. That is the episode where Ellen came out, considered to be one of the most important TV episodes of all time. Dava and I talk all about that. And Dava shares a ton more great stories. You're going to love it. We're dishing it big time here on Classic Conversations with Dava. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. Last week's episode, super amazing. Episode 130 with Summer Moore, producer, writer, master creator of Pandemic Pillow Talk, an amazing web series on YouTube. Check out that super fun conversation. And then last week, we also talked to Brian Kiley, comedian and member of the Conan O'Brien team for 20 plus years. He talks all about Conan. So many great stories in both episodes. If you're just tuning in to Classic Conversations, you got over like 130 hours to catch up, so you could just better call in sick to work or something, because there's a test next week. This week on Thursday, we got a bonus episode featuring segments from Crossing the Streams. That's the live show I do every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can follow my YouTube channel. Just search The Jeff DeWoskin Show on YouTube. And you can find us there and watch live, comment live. And then we delight the podcast fans with bonus episodes featuring three segments from across the 70-plus episodes that we've done. It's TV binge-watching suggestions. So if you're always wondering, ah, what should I watch? Crossing the Streams is the answer for you. It's me and a bunch of my friends, and we're just chatting about shows we've watched. And then you can take it from there. Oh, real quick. Tell me if I'm crazy or not. So my wife and I had a date night. We had a nice, lovely dinner together, and then she wanted to see the Downton Abbey movie, and I hadn't seen Doctor Strange 2 yet. I didn't wanna see the Downton Abbey movie. She had very little interest in seeing the Doctor Strange movie. They both were starting at around 8.15 p.m. They're both exactly two hours. So we went to dinner together, went to the movies, each saw a different movie, met back in the lobby, and then finish the evening together. Weird? Not weird? Tweet me at Jeff Washington Show and let me know. I'm curious what you think, because we've been getting some feedback from our friends. Wondering if it's syncing up. I think it's super cool. Why not? That way we each didn't waste two extra hours watching the other movie that we didn't want to see. I think it's brilliant. I do want to thank everyone for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations. And that's how we keep the lights on. I am so excited to share my conversation with Dava Zavell with you. So excited. Dava tells so many amazing stories. And plus the whole oral history of the puppy episode, Ellen's Coming Out episode. It's great stuff. And I'm going to share it with you right now. Here you go. All right, everyone. I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest. Emmy Award winner, television producer, and writer, Dava Savelle. Welcome to the
2: show. So happy to be here. This is awesome. Thank you for having me.
1: So exciting. You have written on so many good stuff. Will and Grace... Sonny with a Chance, which I love. I thought Demi Lovato was great. You know, my kids were the age, so I would watch it every now and then. But I'm a big Demi Lovato fan. I've seen her in concert twice. Dharma and Greg, Grace Under Fire, dinosaurs. dinosaurs, Love, Dream On, and of course, Ellen, which I you wrote one of the most important episodes of television ever, the puppy episode uh, where Ellen came out. And I want to talk about that in depth because it's, it's fascinating. It's it's got to be amazing to have impacted not only television really probably the world really the world so it's really great to talk to you hello
2: hi jeff (laughs) hi there was actually like uh, i don't know maybe three documentaries done and an awful lot of uh interviews so but one more what the hell right
1: Well, yeah. I want to. We'll talk about everything. I just want to, you know, just get a little bit of of insight on you. It would be silly of me not to, since you're here. How often am I blessed with television royalty such as yourself? So I
2: actually, do you know there's a great expression that I heard when I first started out, and I said I wanted to be a television writer, and somebody once said to me, "Television writers are rich, but movie writers are royalty." <laughs> 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 so we never got that title but we did get the money which was very nice at least in the 90s anyway i don't <laughs> know about now but definitely in the 90s
1: job what led you to become a comedy writer
2: um fell into it afterwards like a, a lot of people that i know as opposed to now where kids actually you know study it in college came from acting and improv part of a comedy team performing in new york city have a race circuit which was the only place to perform in fact stiller and mirror were our mentors they helped us they would come to our shows and give us notes and kind of cool and uh one night um, an agent came to see the show he gave me his card and i saw that he was a literary agent i was like really bummed because i was like, i needed an agent as an actor and i said i'm i'm not a writer and he goes well who wrote all this so i said well i did you know with my partner he goes well then you're a writer and he said well listen you ever get to la you give me a call So I held onto the card and then years later, not that many years later, actually, we had kind of done as much as we could in New York and I wanted to make my fame and fortune. So my then husband and I moved to LA where (laughs) I discovered I was three months pregnant and I didn't know. In those days, didn't even have like a pregnancy test, a home pregnancy test. So I'm just like walking around just feeling a little fat. And I called this agent, met me for lunch, and he saw that I was a little plump. We got talking, whatever, and he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'll tell you what I can't do. can't act because no one's going to hire me looking like this. And he said, well, you can write, and I'm going to help you. And I said, what do I write? And he said, I want you to write a spec. So I wrote a, remember I wrote a spec, cheers. He loved it thought, okay, I'm going to get my first job because no, you got to write a, you got to write a pilot. And I said, well, what do I write a pilot about? I don't know any of this stuff. And he goes, well, comedy is conflict. So what's conflicting in your life right now? And I remember my sister was going through this really bad divorce in New York city where her and her husband refused to leave the apartment because apartments were really hard to come by. So they decided to build a wall within the apartment and live there together and they hated each other, and I thought that's pretty, you know, conflicting. So I wrote a pilot based on it. Agent called me and said, uh, "You have a, a meeting about your pilot," and he said, I'm going to sign you." I said, "You're going to sign me?" Because yeah, because they thought I was going to sell this pilot. And I met with uh, Ed Weinberger. I was so naive; I thought he was just going to buy the pilot. And he said to me, "No, no, no, it's to New York," and in those days, to New York meant too Jewish. Didn't understand why he met with me. And he said, I think you're a good writer and I want to keep in touch with you. Meanwhile, William Morris signed me prior to the meeting. So I was kind of in the William Morris hopper. And maybe six months after that, first job on a game show, writing jokes for like people like Betty White, Vincent Price. And it was really fun. I only lasted like, I don't know, eight weeks or something. And then I got fired. And Gary Shanley hired me, Alan Toybell. Uh, hired me for The Shandling Show and I wrote an episode and I was never so happy in my life because I was writing what I knew. I knew funny. I knew not network television. I just wanted edgy. There's nothing edgier than Shandling Show. It was on Showtime at the sh- at the time, Gary Shandling Show. And they offered me a full-time job. They said, you just need to sit down with Gary. And I said, great. And I sat down in a conference room and Gary walks in. The first thing out of his mouth was, so I hear you have a kid. And I said, yeah, I have a Baby, what's the problem? And he said, I can't work with anybody who have children. And I got hired and fired in the same day by Gary. That's horrible. It is horrible. You can't do that now, but in those days, you could do it. And Alan's wife, he, he felt terrible. You know, and it's funny because after that, you know, like when we won the Emmy and stuff like that, I saw Gary. I saw him on uh, numerous times and he was always like, I started your career. And I went, you crazy. You hired and fired me at the same day. You're the worst person in the world. But it did get me in. And, and sometimes you have to accept the fact that when you're making your way up the ladder, sometimes a job, you don't need the job. Just having the script from Gary Shandling's show. A produced script that they paid me for, that was enough to propel my career. I didn't need a year on the show to get me where I wanted to go. It became my calling card, that script, and it was really the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it was an excellent script and and then I just kept moving on from there, going up the ladder, which was it was great. I didn't tell anybody else I ever <laughs> that I had a baby. I didn't tell anybody. <laughs>
1: Were there other obstacles thrown up because being a woman trying to break into this?
2: Yeah. In those days, it was very, 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 very tough to be a woman. You were a um, you were a like a checkoff, you know, like I can't think of the word, but just, you know, um, you know, it's like you have eight men on staff. Well, we're going to need a woman. And you just felt like you were the token lady, and that's how it was all the time. I have friends who were on Shandling's show, and they had a rough time of it. It's a very, it's a, it was, it's really a, a man's world then. Tremendously, very unkind. Dinosaurs. I was on that. There, I think there were a dozen men and me. It's tough. You really had to push your way up. And interestingly enough, the generation before me, which was like designing women. And all those women, they all worked with their husbands. It was always teams of women and men. And my group of people coming up, we all came in without partners. And it was much, much more difficult. And now it's so much easier. Well, I don't know. I think it's probably relevant, but it was hard. It was hard there.
1: With dinosaurs, uh, please tell me you're the one that wrote, not the mama.
2: No, that was Michael Jacobs. He did that. We, uh, I tell you, I almost was the voice of uh, of the mother of Fran. Uh, we couldn't find somebody, and so uh, uh, we just we had everybody else was booked. And we we got the voices, we were all set, we were great, but we we couldn't buy, find anybody for Fran. And so the first table read, they were like, "Hey, Daba, can you can you do the voice? Can you read it for us?" Because I was acting ba- in a background, and I said, "Sure," and I I did it. And I got tons of laughs, and then Disney came to me and they said, I "Really like you." you're very good. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm a writer on the show. I'm not going to be the voice. All right. All right. All right. Right. <laughs> and the next week, the next table read, we still didn't have anybody. They said, well, can she do it again? I said, sure. And I did it. And that was it. And they offered me a contract and it, I mean, the guys were not happy. The other writers were like pissed. You know, I saw already the writing on the wall. And so when we got Jessica Walters, it was like, oh, God, thank God, thank God, you know. I didn't want anybody hating me. It was fun. Dinosaurs was a blast. It was one of the coolest, hippest shows I have ever worked on. It it doesn't even get the right kudos for the major players that worked with us. And at the time, the episodes ran, they were like a, I remember someone telling me it was like 1.3 million an episode. That was unheard of in 91 unheard of but we had a massive sound stage with a huge like a pond full of water i mean who has that it was it you looked like you're walking into well prehistoric times and they you know they smoked it all you know so it was always very foggy we had to wear gas masks it was crazy then it was like they realized well maybe we shouldn't smoke it maybe we'll put that in later or something it was it was super cool, and all the Henson people and the and the Creature Shop people. And everything had to be handmade and made twice as big. It was remarkable. It was such an experience. I've never I've never seen anything like that before. It was really really super cool just to be on the set, just to walk on, and, and it was just uh, awesome.
1: It's a it's a great. Voice cast. I mean, besides, I'm sure you would have been amazing, but Jessica Walter, Stuart Pankin, Sally Struthers, Sherman Hemsley. I mean, just among
2: oh, and all the guest stars that came on. I remember. Okay, this is good story. I came on. Uh, who is it? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Buddy Hackett came on to do uh, an episode. So, uh, so I was a producer, and my uh, my exec said, "Hey, listen, why don't you go to uh, you know the voiceover, the ADR session." And help Buddy out and go over his script with him, make sure he's got the lines right. If you need something, change, change it. I said, okay, cool. So we're sitting there together and Buddy Hackett hits on me. I mean, hits on me so bad. He literally takes his hand and picks up my leg and puts it over his leg. I mean, I'm like, Buddy, and he's like, Wow, wow, what's the matter? I mean, wow, what do you have a I mean, I just I think you're cute. And I'm like, Buddy, come on. And and he's like, uh, he's just come on, what, what, what's your name? I said Dava and he goes Dava, Dava, what kind of name is Dava? I said it's my it's my Hebrew name. And he goes, You're a Jew? What the hell am I hitting on you for? I got one of those at home. It was <laughs> so freaking cute. I went Buddy Ah oh, man. Buddy Hackett's story.
1: I have one of those at home too. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays you would uh, you get ruined for a story like that.
2: <laughs> Until you have the shit you can't get away with now. And then All the you know, the Me Too movement I I almost laughed when that came out. I was like, really? Now it comes out? How about fifteen years ago? That would have been a lot better twenty years ago.
1: Right, right, right. Well I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to, to deal with that and then Yeah.
2: Yeah. Makes you it really is a it's a boys' room. And if you can't deal with it, it was very hard. Very, very, very hard. You had to put up with an awful lot. It's uh and all the female comedy writers that I know. Got very thick skins, sometimes not thick enough. Sometimes it just, it was so hurtful, very misogynistic and stuff like that. I remember the first room I ever ran, I basically gave a list of words I never want to hear in this room. And they all had to adhere to it because I was running the room, you know, I was running the show. And just stuff that I just kind of like went, I'm done, you know, I can't do it. Got better as it went along.
1: Were there any shows that you you said, "I, I just, I have to, I'm leaving.
2: Oh my gosh, there was a show that I worked on. Can I say the names? I don't know if I can. But anyway, (laughs) one guy, one guy, I mean, the exec producer just like, if you were in the writer's room and you said a joke that he didn't like, he made the writer get up and stand in the garbage can.
1: Oh, that's demeaning.
2: Oh, so demeaning. It's so demeaning. And I would just, uh, I would always say something. And I, you know, and, and one time he just... I was in the hall with this guy and and he said, he just like, let me have it. He just said, you drive me crazy. You just, I just, I just, and he took his fist and he went, he wasn't going to hit me, but he was about six, six big guy. And he jammed his fist into the wall next to me. And his hand went right through the plot. That wasn't plaster. It was like, you know, like whatever. And big hole in the wall. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, he's going to kill me. And the next thing, I'm going to be dead. So that night we're leaving work and I was with a friend of mine and we walked out and it was at Sony. And I'll never forget, like all the writers had to park like, you know, like a quarter mile away in the parking spot, in the the lot. But the exec producers got two spots right next to the offices. I was so upset with this guy. And I'm thinking, you know what, screw him. And I took his... This guy and I, we took the, we took their their names. And we pulled them out of the parking things. We tossed them in the dumpster, thinking, "Are oh, we funny, right?" And we go to our cars and we go home. The next day, we come in. There's like a pall in the room, you know, in the, in the in the offices. And we're like, "What's what's going on?" And the secretary says, "Oh my God, you did you hear? The guys are going to get fired." I said, "What do you mean?" The exec producer's like, how, "How do you know?" They said, "They took their parking spots away. They took out their names." And I went. <laughs> And you know what? They were fired. They honestly, they were fired. They were fired maybe a week later. They actually were fired. And I got one of their spots. How about that?
1: There you go. (laughs) Karma. That must have been scary, though. I mean, that was, I mean, to have somebody punch like that.
2: Yeah, it is. I don't think people can do that
1: now. No, I, yeah, that's, that's just, oof. That's just horrible.
2: I'm sure it's still like that in some respects, but I've been on shows where, you know, people are nuts. Brett Butler.
1: Grace Under Fire. Roseanne. Did you work on Roseanne?
2: I didn't work on Roseanne. I knew Roseanne because I worked on Tom Arnold's show. I'm so blanking on the name was of it the, the show. Was it
1: the Tom Arnold Show?
2: Yeah, you wish it was called the Tom Arnold Show. No, <laughs> and she was the exec producer of it. And she was actually really nice to me, but he was insane. He was insane. Uh,
1: the Jackie Thomas show.
2: Jackie Thomas show. We were there. Jackie, listen. I was brought on by ABC because the show was failing, and and there was a love interest that was not getting any play on the show, and they thought maybe they brought in a woman. See what I'm talking about? the The token woman who's going to bring up the uh, who's going to make the the love angle better because she's a woman. Anyway, and, you know, Tom, in front of, like, all the writers and all the people, whatever, introduced me. Oh, we have our new person coming on board. Come on, Dava, say hi, and that kind of shit, you know? And I was like, oh, thanks, Tom, yeah. So as the show went on, I wasn't on it for very long. It was just the last season. I think it was only on one season. And I remember uh, we were, you know, in the same lot as Seinfeld, and one day... Tom Arnold's uh, parking spot and Roseanne's parking spot, where well, they were both, they didn't have names on them. They didn't want anybody to know where they parked. I don't know why. And Julia Lee Dreyfus made the, like, you know, horrible mistake of parking in Tom's spot. <laughs> and so Tom decided to take advantage of it, make it a big uh, press thing. Like, so he went to war. So Tom Arnold, the, his show went to war with Seinfeld over this of course julia did nothing she made a stupid it was nothing and i don't know how much you could say on this i guess you could say anything right
1: you can say anything you want
2: okay okay so so tom had one of his his uh, minions go over and take soap and write on julia's par uh julia louise uh dry pussy okay And uh, she gets her car, and she's horrified. And she doesn't retaliate. She just wants to get away. But Tom, taking advantage of the situation, he... Did something? I don't remember what he did, but he did something to his car, and he's like, "Oh, look what she did to my car!" Well, she didn't do anything, but he wanted an excuse to do something again, so we went back and forth. And like, you know, they put on what are those called, pylons? You know, the, the velvet ropes. Right, right. And he ripped off his parking spot. And the next day, there were condoms pulled over the balls of the of the of the things of the of the pylons. It's like, oh, look what they're doing it, and it went back and forth and back. Tom came into the writer's room and he goes okay he comes in with a with a a Polaroid camera and he goes okay I want a picture of everybody's ass because every day we're gonna stick a Polaroid of somebody's ass on the windshield of Julia's car and she's gonna know never to park in my spot again it's like oh my god and okay so now the writers who are all male I think it was like two women me and somebody else and they start pulling their pants down he's taking pictures this is so incredibly wrong (laughs) <laughs> and he's taking pictures. Oh, I was going to see your balls in this one. Okay, yeah, we'll take this one. And he's taking pictures of everybody. Stop! Pull on your pants. Want to take a picture of your ass? And I said, okay, Tom. A, you don't pay me enough to take a picture of my ass. And B, I'm not doing that. It's disgusting. And this is a disgusting thing that you're doing. <laughs> so I think I'm. I was, i do not know. It just it just built up to where Julia was. She was so upset with what was going on. She was like. She was, she was really upset. So we were coming out of a run through and in the distance you could see the Seinfeld people. It was like high noon. They were walking towards us. We were walking towards them and. Jason Alexander, who's a, he's a really good friend of mine. We went to college together and he was leading the pack. And you saw like, you know, Jerry, Larry David are way in the back. They, they don't want anything to do with this. And Julia's not even around. She's like stuck in her dressing room. She didn't want to come out. And Jason comes right up to, to Tom Arnold and it's like, Mr. Arnold, my name is Jason Alexander. He goes, I know who you are. He goes, and uh, I just, I, you know, this is crazy. You, you, this has gotten out of hand julia is very upset and we just want to make peace and and we just want to put this to rest she made a mistake she parked in your spot can we call it a day and tom was like let me tell you something rosie and i we own this this lot you you know fuck you and all stuff and he walks away and i look at jay and i'm like jay said i'm so sorry i don't even what to say this guy's insane he's insane he goes because this has really gotten out of hand that's the kind of stuff that happened so you know when our show was canceled I'm sure Seinfeld was like this it was so happy that you know it was over but it was crazy times
1: whatever happened to the Seinfeld crew and Julie Louise Dreyfus
2: <laughs> <laughs> They made no money whatsoever
1: I remember little of that of that specifics of that time but I do remember that whole Roseanne Tom Arnold powder keg phase.
2: On Jackie Thomas show, we were shooting our last episode. Roseanne came up to me and she's like, I like you. I want you to run my show. I want you to run our show next year. And I'm like, you know, Roseanne, I would love to run new. I would I would have fired all the men. I, you know, he she was very lovely to me. She was not but she was very wary of women around Tom. At the end, she caught him having a little something something with an assistant and she went friggin' ballistic. The word on the street was, I heard about it, but I didn't see it. She got into her car and she just took off and she went literally, she drove towards some poor PA walking <laughs> across the lot, trying to get home to kill him, to run him over. And, and he, the kid jumped out of the way and she just screeched off the lot. And that was the end of it. His show was canceled and she filed for divorce and all this stuff. That's the crazy stuff that happened.
1: That's an insane story. I remember Tom Arnold, at some point he married a a girl much younger than him who was from Michigan.
2: I wonder if it was her. We used to call them twit and twat. These two blondes and Twit and Twat would, uh, <laughs> I don't know which one did which, one would walk around with a little cooler full of water for him and the other would give him neck massages. Maybe she was Twat. I don't know. But they were like, on you next to him all the time and Roseanne never said anything and I, that was, I think he was caught with one of them or maybe both of them. Who knows?
1: Java, you have the best stories ever. I'm so-
2: oh, babe, you hang out with me.
1: I'm so excited. Like, um, all right, do you want to dish on Tony Danza?
2: (laughs) So Tony Danza, I actually love Tony.
1: I love Tony Danza, yeah.
2: love Tony Danza. He and I got along so well. You know, a lot of times these stars, they can really tell when you're ass kissing them. And I never did with Tony. I was always very honest with him. And so when we would uh, do his show and we would, like, shoot a scene and everybody was, you know, huddled around one of the monitors. And I I didn't. I went to the other monitor where the hair and makeup women were. And But he would finish a scene and then he would run over to me and he would say, "What, what do you think? Do you think I did? I said, Tony, you nailed it. That was awesome. But what about if you did this, this, and this? And he goes, oh, I love it, I love it. I'll try it, I'll try it. And he runs back and he does it, gets a big laugh. So he trusted me tremendously. I remember Warren Littlefield, who was running NBC at the time, I remember him coming up to me and saying, I don't know how to give Tony a note without him blowing up at me. He goes, and you get along so well with him. How, I don't know what to do. And I said, one trick, always make it sound like it's Tony's idea. And he goes, oh, I love that. And he did. He just turned it around and then Tony was very happy with it. He was a a lovely guy. It's a cute story. We were trying to find a guy to play Tony Dance's father. And uh, my dad lived in Fort Lauderdale. (laughs) Dad, he was an old Jewish guy. And he was like, well, you tell Tony if he can't find his dad, i am happy to play the part. You know, just like a dad would say to him.
1: Sure, sure.
2: Right. So I'm in this room with Tony Danza and the exec producer. I was the exec producer, too, but the guy who created the show and a couple of other people, whatever. And Tony's like, I don't know what we're going to do, man. we got to find someone to play my dad. We have offers out to of this one and this one. As a joke, I said, well, listen, if you can't find somebody to buy, play your dad, you know, my father said, he'd do it. And he goes, really? OK, what's your dad's name? I said, Lou. He goes, get him on the phone. I, said, I swear to God. I call my father. He goes, "Hello." I said, "Hey, Dad, it's Dava. He goes, "Hey, babe, what's going on?" I said, "Hey, Daddy, listen, I got somebody. <laughs> I got somebody wants to talk to you." I said, "It's Tony Danza." He goes, "What?" And Tony gets the phone. He goes, "Hey, Lou, it's Tony Danza." And he and my father goes, and he picks it up. He takes it off a speaker, right. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to, you know, I heard that uh, you're available to play my dad. And, and, you know, I may just call you on that. And I hope you're okay with Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, you know. Right? Okay, thanks so much. Here you go. And he has a phone back to me. I go, hello? And all I hear from my father was, you little Shit. And I will never forget, it was the funniest thing, Tony doing that to my father. He was such, he was a really good guy, Danza. He's a really minchy guy, but I knew him. He was married, happily married, his kids, now he's divorced. It's a shame. You know, I mean, you know, you don't know what goes on, but working with him was a blast. He was such a professional and a lovely, lovely man. I mean, he has quite a temper, but he never, ever, ever yelled at me. And, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that he would yell and he'd send flowers He was known for that, but he was um, absolutely delightful.
1: That's cool. That's good to know. And then one thing of note, you wrote an episode where you reunited him with Carol Kane.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I had such a good time. In fact, I did an episode. It was a small role. And I said, Tony, why don't we get your wife to play this role? It'll be funny. And he was like, oh, my God, I never thought... we brought him to- he was, it was great. Yeah, we had Carol Kane. We had a bunch of funny people. It's a shame that show didn't go. It was really, it was really a sweet show. And I had, a gr- I had the best office on that show. I had Sydney Portier's old office. Oh, really? Stunning, stunning office. And if I swear to you, Jeff, at least twice a week. If not more, I would get a phone call here. Hello, I have a so-and-so, so-and-so calling from Mr. Portier. I go, I'm sorry, Sydney doesn't work here anymore. This is my office. This kept happening. And one day I get a call. Hello, yes, I have Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward calling for Mr. Portier, And I'm like this. <laughs> Put him right through. I said, right through. <laughs> <laughs> I said uh, he doesn't work here anymore, but is there any chance that I could talk to them? And she said, no.
1: <laughs> I think that was a missed opportunity. I think
2: <laughs> it was totally missed. I was so excited. It was really freaking cool.
1: That's really funny. Yeah,
2: it was cool.
1: So how, what was it like working with Demi Lovato? I, I got to say, I when I watched that show, because, you know, my my kids would, you know, it, it, it's the right age, right? Any any of those type of shows, if you have the a kids at the right age, you'll hit those shows and there'll be a million shows you didn't see. You
2: know, they watched That's a Raven, too. No, your kids too young. I, I don't Who'd know if played? they
1: watched... That one, but they like "Sunny with a Chance was always odd. So I would sit and I, Demi Lovato cracked me up. Like I thought she was really good.
2: She was a great, great little actress. She was, she got, she went on a, it was a, 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 a slide. It went down and, uh, and it was a shame. It was really a shame. She has a lot. She had a lot of stuff going against her family-wise and stuff like that. She worked really hard, and then she got kind of sloppy. She didn't want to come in. She she became very, um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if she, I'm sure she was, I don't even know how old she was at that time. But we had, like, people like Justin Bieber would come in to say hi, and, and Selena Gomez would come in. with their best friends to say hi. We had so many interesting people who just loved her, and it was really fun in the beginning. And then it, it went down the, uh, the shitter. And uh, we ended up with a show called... Um,
1: so Random.
2: So Random. Yeah, that was the kind of like... And, and actually, that was a lot of fun to do, because that was like a sketch show. And we used the, the best of the people who were on Lovato's show. And it was like, it was a crime not to use these kids. They were awesome. Just because she was screwing up. So... That's what we did and uh, and that show, I think it ran for a year and that was it. but you know it was interesting being part of the Disney camp. I came in when on that's So Raven when Raven was like I don't know she was like 15 years old and um, and Disney didn't have any network writers. That was nobody would have worked for, oh my God, who would work for cable? You know, that was like, you know, the worst thing you could ever do. I had just done Ellen, and I did Ellen, and then I did, you know, Will and Grace, and I did I did a bunch. And I knew the guy who created the show, and he asked me to come aboard, and I, I wasn't, I was in between stuff. Nothing was happening. I went, well, shit. I mean, how much are you paying me? Okay. So I came aboard, and, and you know, Disney, to their credit, was very pro-LBGT, you know, LB...
1: LGBTQ.
2: Yes, the queue was there too at the time. And they were thrilled to have me. I'm not gay, but they were thrilled to have me anyway. And then That's So Raven ran for a 100 episodes. And it was the first time anything had ever done anything. And we were for an Emmy for Best Kids Programming. It marked a time in my life. And I went, you know, it's very interesting being a very big fish in a very small pond. And over the years, the pond got bigger and bigger. And they were like, Oh, my God, we can get this writer and this writer and this writer. And to Disney's credit, I mean, they grew. They grew and became so big. I mean, you know, Hannah Montana and all these big shows that came out of Disney Channel. And really, at the end of the day, Disney, God bless them, man, you can still get residuals from Disney. You can't get residuals off of like Netflix and anything streaming. There's no residuals. I mean, it's terrible. Only, there's only network residuals. What shows on, you know, on network, they're not, they don't play them like they used to. Right. Um, but Disney, it was, it's actually a very, you know, it's not a bad place to work. They were really super nice. So I stayed at the Disney camp. So that's where you go from, you know, that's a raven to, you know, somebody with chance and so random. And I did a pilot there with Zach Efron.
1: Mm-hmm. High school musical.
2: It, no, it was before high school. No, I'm saying, musical. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. He was 15 at the time with a big gap in his teeth. He was adorable. It's crazy, right? I mean, you really watch all these kids come up in the world and they were great. It was a, a breeding ground for really good talent. Disney went all over the country to find good talent. So, And then they would very- spin
1: off, like, because on that, so Raven, Kyle Macy was on that, and then he became Corey in the House. Show. Yeah, they do that a lot where they'd spin off one character and into another thing when it ended.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're not pretty smart. Tremendous amount of uh, work goes into, you know, all their publicity and their audience participation and all this stuff and all these marketing people. And they know exactly what they're doing and, and what pops and what doesn't pop. And it's I mean, look at Raven. I mean, I came back to run her show Raven's Home. Kids loved her. That's because of Disney. You know, Ray's already. She's in. She's like thirty-five years old. Doesn't matter. Those kids love her.
1: Well, she was a cheetah girl, and I. <laughs> cheetah
2: girl. <laughs> cheetah girl? Yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Such.
1: I got oh. girls, so you know.
2: <laughs> oh, but you know it. You know that whole group.
1: Right. So it was. Would Ellen then be considered part of the Disney family? That was ABC Disney. Was. Yeah.
2: Would you think so? No. Yeah. Ellen. No. Ellen was an anomaly unto itself. I came aboard the year before she came out and came on as a co-exec producer. And then the next year she uh, asked me to run it. I'll never forget. We uh, were all sitting around her house, hired, you know, hired a great group of writers. And there was another exec producer with me, Mark Driscoll. We were sitting in Ellen's house, you know, having food and drinking and celebrating the new season. And Ellen says, I, uh, oh, guys, you know, I want to, I want to tell you all something. We all kind of stopped and looked at her and she goes, I, I just want to let you know that I'm going to be coming out this year. <laughs> and that split second I went, well, it was nice to work on the show. <laughs> we're going to get fired. We didn't get fired. Well, we did, but.
1: But not before you produced.
2: Not before we produced the coming out episode. But I remember it was like the greatest. And then it was like, uh-oh, we're screwed. That was one of the most interesting times of my career. Well, it was the apex of my career. I hate to put it that way because it was so long ago. But you know what? You can't top it because it it was such a it was such a it was a moment in history. It was a it was it was such a phenomenon that yeah, it's great to win an Emmy, but I want a Peabody for that. and That's for journalism. That it was an act of journalistic brilliance, not on my part, but it was so difficult. It was so difficult to do that. You know, you had to, we had an entire season to do and it was, it was not the season ender. It was, I think we had three episodes, and we did it on purpose not to make it season ender. We didn't want to be gratuitous. We didn't want to do it during sweeps week. We wanted to make it just, you know, but it was, it was, it was difficult. She had to make her her play for it. She had to go to Disney and we all walked with her and it was really what she needed to do in her life. She just couldn't live a lie anymore. And she hated what she was doing. She couldn't stand. And, and, and how much can you write a show if, if you can't have relationships? That's what people want to see. They want to see girl next door going out with a guy. She wanted to do that. Then you got to work towards something. So the entire season was about her coming closer and closer and closer to getting to the place where she wanted to come out. And uh, it was kind of cool creating that season, the arc of that season. So many guest stars came aboard. She kept meeting with psychiatrists. She kept going to one psychiatrist, to the next, to the next, to the next. I remember we had Harvey Corman as one of them. And they were just wonder what was better than the next? And of course, the last one for the coming out episode was Oprah. And she was the one that said it was okay to, to be gay, figuring If Oprah said it was okay to be gay, then it's okay to be gay.
1: Yeah, whatever Oprah says goes, pretty much, yeah.
2: As lovely as you would imagine her to be. She's one of the nicest people. She cried in in the office, our offices. She watched what we had shot, and she did the tears coming down her face, and she's like, thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. Of course, her film crew was right there, too, so I think it probably looked good that she was crying. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting that people listening now that, you know, it's just, it's almost been 25 years. And now yeah. the idea of somebody being gay on TV or something like that is just is so norm, but this is what made it okay. And this is what made it normal today. And it was like, this was that first step.
2: Yes. Also, we were killing, we were taking a show that had a huge following and that it was a big hit. Ellen was a big hit for ABC. And we were basically shooting it in the foot. I mean, it may have been good for Ellen, but was it good for the show? And in fact, it wasn't because after we did the show, after we did the coming out episode, although the, you know, the ratings were through the roof, I mean, Ellen fired all of us after that. And she just got a whole new group of people, kind of like this was the new her. And she wanted to start fresh and it only lasted one more season. And then they canned it. She, and then she was like a pariah. She couldn't get arrested in Hollywood. So it's growing pains, I suppose, looking at it that way. Because by the time I did Will and Grace, I remember they they didn't have the pitfalls that we had. I mean, they they started out with two gay characters. I mean, are you kidding me? You can say this and this. We couldn't say any of this. It was amazing, the leap that, you know, but they said they couldn't have done what they did had it not been for what we did on Ellen.
1: Absolutely. Why do you think Ellen cleaned house after... Because you were the crew that helped her yeah. uh, get her voice out there and this this message out there.
2: I don't really know. I'd love to say I know. I mean, one of the people that got get, that got cleaned out was her own brother. So, I mean, it, it's not like she had anything against me personally, but maybe she did. But no, you know what? I saw Ellen after, you know, like you're saying, it's 25, you know, the 20th anniversary of it. And I mean, hugs and kisses like she had just seen me. There's no bad feelings or anything. I guess she just saw herself as somebody different. The problem is, is that when we did the episode, you know, when you do something like that, you want to make your protagonist, you want to make Ellen vulnerable, as vulnerable as possible, because the audience then loves her and they go towards her. And also we wanted to make it so that we all knew she was gay and Ellen, the character, kept fighting it. And that was what made her so endearing. And so where the audience is ahead of its own ca- of the character, saying it's okay to come out, you know, it was that kind of thing. But Ellen fought it, fought it, fought it until the very end, and then she finally says in the airport, "I'm gay." And of course, you know, the room, the whole place went crazy. And and then the second, and then the year that she was then out, that last year, my feeling was that she knew more than the audience. It became almost like a club that the audience was not a part of. It was this gay club, and you're excluding your own audience. And I think that's the death of a show. I think what's so wonderful is when the audience learns with the characters. They 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 see their lives through their eyes. And and Ellen, uh, I think, screwed the pooch on that last season. But but it was really cool. The people who came aboard, Demi Lovato, a uh, Demi Lovato. Uh, Demi um, Moore, Moore, and uh,
1: Gina Gershon, Billy Bob Thornton.
2: Yeah, Billy Bob Thornton was really cool. Laura Dern was awesome, and Laura Dern and I have remained friends. The amount—I mean, we were getting calls from people saying, "I'll just—I'll just say one." Line. I remember Mick Jagger's people called and said, "Oh, he'll say a line." And it was like we don't have any lines left. We've given them all away. Everybody was there. I remember.
1: Katie Lang, and then Melissa Etheridge to the theme song of the second part.
2: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, Melissa Etheridge was great. They were all great. Uh, I remember uh, Tracy Chapman was sitting in the audience. You know, I mean, people were just coming to see it. You know, it was like, it was really super cool. Of course, we had a huge bomb threat. So we had to empty out the whole audience and then have dogs going through it. And uh, I mean, you have no idea the amount of hate mail we got. It was, Disney didn't even want us to see it. It was just, it was stacks, stacks of letters uh, of hate mail. It was frightening. You know, they're taking out ads, you know, all the Christian coalition people and all this shit. And it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Very, very, very frightening. And it was unlike anything any of us had ever been through. So when, you know, and we won the Emmy, I remember Gil Younger, he directed it and he didn't win the Emmy and, and his award is right before ours. And when he didn't win it, I went, oh, fuck, <laughs> I don't think we're going to win for best writing on this. But we were up next and, and I think it was, uh, what's this face, some friends, uh, Matthew uh, Perry announced, you know, the winner is the writers from, from Ellen. And we went out of our... We were so excited. I had done a a pilot for Bette Midler while I was running Ellen. I used to sneak out. I can't believe I'm saying this. I don't know if it's a podcast. But I used to sneak out uh, during lunch and meet with Bette uh, on another soundstage on another studio because I was like, (laughs) I mean, who... Who runs a massive show and then is meeting with Bette Midler to do her pilot at the same exact time? But that was the days when you you had to spend a tremendous amount of plates. Because you never knew how long your, jo- your job was up for. So you kind of like, I wanted to make sure I had another job in the, in the wings. So it was really, really cool. But I saw Bette. Her pilot ended up, oh, whatever. It was crazy, her pilot. I saw her walking down the aisle to get the Emmy. And I passed bet. she gave me a big hug and kiss and it was just I and mean, it's stupid stories like that. And you know, and then you do you get the you get your, your award on stage and then you come off, you know, stage and then and then you have to go through a press junket. She wanted, because of Ellen, it was a huge press junket. And all the the kids who were hired to as waiters and waitresses all gave us a, just like a standing ovation. It was like walking through all these they were just so happy nine-tenths of them were gay and they were so happy to be represented and anyway so i gave the whole press junket the whole nine yards and you finally leave and then you have to go through the lobby and go back up the stairs and come in through the back of the auditorium where the emmys were still going and as i'm going up the door i passed not mel brooks it was uh carl reiner and he was coming out to, go to the bathroom and he goes oh look at you you got an emmy and I, and he goes congratulations. I said, "Oh, Mr. Reiner." I said, "This is a bet is a bigger moment meeting you than getting this." Thank you so much. He's a really nice guy, Carl Reiner.
1: Wow, that's great story. That's really cool.
2: It was really cool. And then I got back to my seat and I just thought the whole night I'm going, "I met Carl Reiner." <laughs> He's just like, "Screw the Emmy on your on your lap." I met Carl Reiner. It was really really cool. Yep.
1: That sounds like an amazing night to be rewarded for for writing such an important episode. You know, I, you know, I, I mentioned to you before, but I did. I rewatched it, part one and part two, and it's great. I mean, even though a spoiler, I knew the ending, but um, <laughs> it was so funny. And yeah. there was never a moment where you're like, "Oh, that felt dated." It really didn't. It was like it felt like that could have been done now. And I, I you know, and it's like so there wasn't anything to me that really aged you know what I mean? You know, things normally age, right? And it's like, especially when you do something for the first time, like sometimes when you watch Friends, you know, like where I explained to some of my friends now, I'm like, it was really a big deal back then. Like they didn't, they did a lot of things. And they're like, but you watch it now. And some of them, you kind of tense up and your stomach gets a little knotted the way they handled it. But the puppy episode was just, I think it remains perfect. I mean, it's like, it really is. I'm not just saying that it just, it was great. And it's like, it was fun to revisit it. We
2: had an amazing writing staff. We really did. These guys were top-notch comedy writers. We were, yeah. You know, it's f- funny because when we saw, when I saw Ellen, like, you know, in 2000, well, it it was like 2008, right? No. Could it have been that long ago? The 20-year anniversary? No.
1: It would have been, I think, uh, it was in 1997,
2: so. 2007?
1: No, that's not right. It's 2017. That's it not,
2: right. it not right. What am I talking to you for? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I can't do math on the fly. I can't
2: do math either. I'm the worst. That's I'm, I'm the worst. It, they showed the episode, because she was doing her talk show. They showed the episode in its entirety to her audience uh, before she started, because the whole Ellen show was uh, dedicated to the puppy episode. And she had like Laura back, Laura Dern, and, and Oprah and all these people. And the audience loved it. So when I saw Ellen, I went, I said, oh, my God. She goes, it totally holds up. It holds up, Dava. It holds up. I'm like, yes, it does. It does hold up. After all these years, it's, but she's, I think she's a comedy genius. I really do. She's a tough cookie, but but she knew what was funny and she knew what worked.
1: Yeah, I've always, I've been a big fan of Ellen DeGeneres' uh, stand-up. I, the, the ice, her crunching on the ice and filling the ice up is just, it's like just a masterclass. It's a, it was so funny.
2: Oh my god, yes, about gay people. You know, eating ice. You know, is that is that a gay thing to do? Eating ice. And brilliant, brilliant stuff. So much fun. We had so much fun, and the audience was just like hanging on every word because they were just waiting for her to. Say. They knew she was coming out on this episode, and they and and ABC. All the executives were so nervous; it was wrecks. It was super, super cool when she finally said that the place went they went berserk. It was fun. It was really fun. And then of course it all crashed down on her. So crazy, right? It's just crazy.
1: Sometimes when you're gonna you're gonna make such a, a difference in the world like that, it's just sometimes the pay the payback is more long term than short term. It's right. People right. don't understand <laughs> what's happening while it's happening and then upon reflection it it can everyone can learn from it and grow from it and I can't even imagine how many people resonated with that episode and were came out as a result of it and just felt better to be part of the world because of it. It's just, it's just an amazing thing.
2: I had friends, uh, my best friend flew out and my assistant, her sister, who's gay flew out and we put them in the scenes, you know, they needed extras. So what the fuck, you know, we stuck them in there and stuff. So they're all in it. So it's iconic for them also to see themselves in the show And I have the, um, the, at the end of the show there, Melissa Etheridge gives Ellen a toaster oven for coming out. Right, right, right. (laughs) Right? And she, uh, so she stamps a, uh, like a contract, like a a lesbian contract. Okay, you did it. You did it. Here's your toaster oven. And I I kept the, uh, I kept the contract. It's it's just something to keep, you know, from it. It means nothing now.
1: No, that's, that was a great scene because it was a callback to the joke from the earlier episode. And what was funny about that was when Melith, Melissa Etheridge was stamping it, you could tell she was just like at one point. I think she stamps the actual clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't care. Like she's just like it was just funny that, that they still left that in. They didn't, you didn't redo it. You guys didn't redo it. It's just like she's just randomly stamping. What? <laughs> 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 it was just so funny.
2: So yeah, Melissa Etheridge was great. They were all great. They were, you know, it's funny when we were uh, after, you know, at, at the Emmys, you know, after we won and whatever, and you, uh, you go to this, this governor's ball, it's just incredibly beautiful you know the chandeliers and all the crystal and all the and all the swag it's like holy moly we're all in gowns and and um and you know and the you know you're walking around with this big fat emmy and you can't put it down by the way and i don't I, you can't there's no way to put it you know it's kind of like holding a purse it's all you have and you got your table assignments and i went to my table and they had me seated next to ellen i see ellen sitting there and there's two people who are sitting next to her, which is my seat. And I don't know who they are, but I was I was just trying to be like, you know, funny. And I went, excuse me, someone's sitting in my seat, like just being an asshole, right? And the people turn around and it's Demi Moore and, um and uh, what's his face? She was married Bruce to at time. And Bruce Willis.
1: That's funny. That's really funny.
2: Bruce Willis stands up and goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Please sit down. And Ellen was like pissed. She's like you know, get out of here, Dava. You know, she wanted to sit next to them. And I'm like, no, 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 you stay. You stay. You're you're Bruce Willis and Demi Moore. I'm just a peon. I'll leave. You know, don't worry about it.
1: Great story. That's, oh, wow. So I read, I'm sure it's been on the list of a million greatest moments in TV history. But uh, the hard part about searching Ellen is because of the new show. (laughs) The t- you know i mean it gets all mixed up um anyway but like uh so uh at the hollywood reporter 2010 top 80 greatest moments in tv history number 34 is ellen degeneres coming out on television between the fall of the berlin wall <laughs> and number 35 the beatles on the ed sullivan show
2: wow that's kind of interesting
1: it's cool right and then. A variety named DeGeneres as a person who has done more than any other celebrity or public figure to influence Americans' attitudes to gay rights. So oh, wow. it says DeGeneres, but we know Dava that you were part of that. So it's it's really cool. It's awesome.
2: Best part is is that you know when people say, "What did you win an Emmy for?" Well, you can pretty much say nine out of ten people who say what they won an Emmy for, they go, "Oh, I didn't see that episode. Oh, that's nice." But when I say, they ask me and I say, oh yeah, Ellen came out of the closet, the coming out episode, everybody knows it. So if you have to win it for something, that's the one to win it for. And that's what's so cool is that everybody knows it. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, it's like, it probably is the apex of my career. I've worked a lot since then, but it makes you really. It made me think in a different way. It made me think that I wanted to do more newsworthy or more just something that wasn't just entertaining that really meant something that that people giving back and I. It, it and then I remember someone saying, "You're never going to have this again." Television is just more the same, and it's true. That's a it's an old expression, but it's very very true. And so I'm happy for what I got out of it. And now I've come to accept that it's just more of the same. As much as you'd like to write shows like Insecure and stuff like that, you know, things that really like break the barriers and they're just so few and far between. They're wonderful if you can get on those and be a part of that kind of... It's more than history. It's it's really... It's socially relevant things that...
1: You didn't just break a barrier. You broke a barrier that... 20 almost 25 years later and, and still beyond right it still had a tremendous impact and yeah. and helped so many people
2: a lot a lot a lot of letters i gotta tell you a lot of letters thanking us people all over the
1: oh i can imagine which is nice so it's a wonderful legacy to have yeah i can't thank you enough for hanging out with me you have i'm sure a million more stories but i
2: uh- <laughs> stuff. Those were the times, right? That's the good thing about this business is that, like, everybody has a story. And, you know, when you hear them, like, Betty White passed away. And, I mean, I know so – I never got to work with her. Everybody that I know had – and everyone has a beautiful story. There's millions of stories in Hollywood, some that are awful, and some that are just – they're just enlightening. So very blessed to be a part of the uh, – club that wants me for a member, I suppose.
1: (laughs) Well, I am honored that you spent time with me and came on my show. I can't thank you enough.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. All right. How amazing was Dava? I told you, right?
1: promised you amazing. You got amazing. So many great stories. So many. It was so fun. Well, with the interview over calling me one thing, oh my God, it's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at Hashtag Roundup. Follow Hashtag Roundup on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup. Get the free Hashtag Roundup app, always free, costs you nothing, at the Google Play Store or iTunes App Store. Get a notification every time a game starts. Tweet along with us. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on an episode of Classic Conversations. Fame and fortune await you. Today's hashtag, inspired by Dava's time at Disney and all the celebrities she dished on. Hashtag Disney a celebrity. Can you believe it? Disney a celebrity mashup existed in the hashtag Roundup ecosystem, and we're going to read tweets from it. Hashtag Disney a Celebrity was hosted by Petty Probs Tags, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup. All right. Hashtag Disney a Celebrity. Take anything Disney, take a celebrity, mash them up. It's a mashup game. When you mash these things together, what happens? Hilarity. All right. Let's read some hashtag Disney a Celebrity tweets Megan Fox and the Hound, Pinkerbell, the artist formerly known as Prince Charming. These are some great hashtag Disney celebrity tweets to kick us off. Minnie Driver, Mickey Rooney Mouse, Alice Cooper in Wonderland, Finding Leonard Nimoy, Gaston Hardy, Justin Timberlake, Little Kim Possible. These are some great hashtag Disney celebrity tweets, but we're not done. Wreck-It Ralph Macchio, Mickey Gervais, Steamboat Willie Nelson, and our final... Hashtag Disney a celebrity tweet. Brave growl. What? All right. Tweet your own hashtag Disney a celebrity tweet. Tag us at Jeff Dewaskin show on Twitter and we'll show you some Twitter love. Also, all these tweets will be retweeted at Jeff Dewaskin show on Twitter at the classic conversations home on Twitter. Well, with the hashtag over and the interview over, it can only mean one thing. I know. Another episode has come to a close. Can you believe it? Episode 132 is now in the books. I'd like to thank my special guest, Davis Savelle. And of course, I'd like to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me, and I'll see you next time.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word. And we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations.